All right, we are live. Episode 76, I got Greg Mead with CrossNet. I've got Caleb Sisk with Shipware. Welcome to the show. I got really amped on that one. I don't that I'm fiery today. I kind of like this because I, I'm going to like this one. It's this one's unique. I think we're talking volleyball. I don't. What is that uh, anyway? Um, when, when, and where did this start, and who was it with? Where, where did the story come from? Crossnet started in 2017 in a farm town in Connecticut, uh, where we grew up. Um, my buddy called me up one day. He's like, "Hey, let's make something." Um, so he came over, we just came up with this idea, um, after jotting like a hundred different ideas down. And, um, we, what the next day we woke up, went to Walmart, bought two like badminton nets, rigged them together. Boom. We had a, you know, a makeshift cross net. We invited some friends over, we played, we made up some like cool styles of like the gameplay and the rules. Um, eventually we're like, damn, this is it. Like we have to turn this into a prototype, uh, get the prototype, make it, make it a real game. That is really interesting. Um, were you into athletics? Were you playing sports, you know, in high school and the like, and same with your buddy? Yeah, absolutely. Me and Mike, um, we go back playing sports against each other since middle school. Um, we're, we both grew up playing uh, basketball together against each other, with each other, um, soccer, uh, soccer team. Uh, we played tennis, baseball. We played it all. Who's a better athlete? Um, me. <laughs> uh, good answer. Um Let's get into going from that idea and then playing around with it into prototyping. How did you get to that stage? Where did you go with the idea? Yeah, so Mike actually graduated from Northeastern. He's an engineer. So as soon as like we knew we had to like get it, get a sample, um, he started going to work on the CAD and the computer, like, nerding out, you know, making the blueprints, um, sending it over to, to our suppliers to make. We found the suppliers on like Alibaba, um, messages a shit ton, and eventually we got the best price. Um, it took like about a year to actually get the physical final prototype after making changes, um, tweaking the net, uh, the material. Um, so after a year, we got it and then we started selling. Uh, this is going to be fun uh, because anybody who's watching this hasn't gotten a lot of it because we're doing a, a lot of food and beverage, but I've done the Alibaba thing. And so immediately when you said that, it, this is going to be some fun questions, just really quick. Um, you, you sort of message a few of the vendors, right? You get some of the stuff back. A lot of them are really attentive. You do have to be very careful, right? You know, you got to do the deposit sometimes and it gets a little, uh, you know, you never see these people, right? Um, how did you find the right one or how did you know it was the right one? Yeah, that's a good question. I think we found the right one just by pricing. Um, the best price won for us. We were poor. We bootstrapped it, self-funded. Um, so we didn't have money to really do this. So we had to get the cheapest one. Um, eventually we knew we could get money and make it better, but the best one was uh, the one that got, gave us the cheapest quote. <laughs> That's interesting too. Uh, and I love the transparency on that um, because oftentimes that could be the flag, right? Again, uh, for those watching, if you've never like contacted somebody through Alibaba, you're dealing with somebody overseas potentially. And if, you know, they put up all these images of what your product is or as a supplier and, and the such. And, and so you start having those communications. Uh, were you doing the AM early, early AM calls at some point? Oh yeah. Well, I put Mike on that. Mike was up to like 5 AM, just like messaging, uh, you know, WhatsApping still does it to this day. Cause that's where, you know, the, the time lag there. Uh, how about uh, getting over there? Did you eventually have to, to travel overseas? Yeah. Mike did our partner. Um, 
I'm not a big fan over there, but Mike, Mike's been a few times and uh, he's had some stories to tell. Shout out, Mike. I've been there, bud. We're going to talk about that uh, another time. Um, now let's go into physical products. So you, you guys come up with the name, you come up with the design and the packaging, you now know it actually works. You got your buddies out there probably playing around. Uh, how did you know how to price it and where were you going to go as far as distribution out the gate? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, we knew how to price it because we priced it too, too, um, it was too low at first. We did it like 99, 99. And then we did like $20 sales, 79, we weren't making any money. So we were like, okay, we need to up this product. It's, it's a big product. It's two volleyball nets. Essentially. If you go to Walmart and you want to buy a decent volleyball net, it's going to cost you a hundred bucks for one. So if you have a luxury two volleyball net system, 150 seems fair. Um, and then it gives us room to, you know, work with the distributors, wholesalers, retailers, and, um, do sales on our.com. Uh, smart comment too. Again, for those watching, I talk about it often about margin requirements. Uh, there's a margin requirement uh, when you're selling a product uh, because you've got all these line items that you uh, either aren't addressing or don't understand quite yet. One is trade spend and the like as far as way up there, but all your operational costs, um, they do accumulate quickly. Uh, so you don't want to be left with hardly anything uh, at the end, you can't operate your business that way. Another piece to this is it's very difficult to raise your price once you set the standard, um, especially if you have a customer base. They, they don't like to see that and they don't want to see that. So, so a really great comment there. Uh, did you go direct to consumer first on a website? And if so, um, give us what that looked like. And then where was your first retail physical uh, brick and mortar retail partner? Yeah, we went straight to B2C online. Uh, we started doing Twitter ads, was doing decent. Um, and then we started shifting to Google, Google ads and um, Facebook ads. Uh, we started off slow on Facebook because we weren't too good at Facebook at, at the time. And it was kind of, it was fairly new um, getting into that realm. But then we started really pushing ad dollars in it once we saw returns. So like for anyone listening, like if you start seeing some traction, keep pushing, keep pumping it up. Otherwise you're just going to go back stagnant and, and you can't you get, you got to risk it. You know what I'm saying? Um, so once we started getting some traction from B2C, uh, some shields uh, in the Midwest, I'm not sure if you're familiar with them, they're big, big sporting store. Um, they picked us up right away. Um, great relationship with them. They've picked us up since day one. Uh, so shout out shields, but yeah, that, it's been great. Shout out. Um, that is great. And another uh, good comment is you are testing a direct to consumer. You're testing, testing, you got ads, you know, there, there's text, there's communication. Is this working? Um, who it's being pointed at? There's demographics you can point at, regional stuff you can play around with. And you're just testing and testing until you find what is working and then you're doubling down there. I also have been making this point about direct to consumer is is really difficult and you could end up squandering away thousands of dollars if you really don't know what you're doing. Um, and I often, you know, again, say find somebody who does because you're gonna save a lot of time and a lot of money. Um, let's go now into a retail, or let's go before March of last year, things are sort of, you know, making their way around, right? You know, you're, you're growing and, and such. How did COVID affect the business? Yeah, COVID tenfolded us. We grew 500x. Um, it was insane overnight. Uh, we didn't have inventory. We ran out of inventory, which sucked. We thought like the last year we ran out of inventory and we had to make customers wait a few weeks and, and that sucked. But this year we're like, okay, we're ready. We're ready to go. We got inventory in. Then COVID hit, like, just like flipped on this one day and we went from making 10 sales a day to 500. It was, it was crazy. So we ran out of inventory and then customers had to wait a month and we had to shut our ads off, which was unfortunate. 
but we had to do it just for, you know, to protect our, our, our brand and, and make the customers happy. Um, but yeah, it, it made us jump through the roof. Uh, I figured that. Um, so this, most people were like, oh, I wonder what would have happened. This is one of those success stories out of COVID. Um, you can imagine people are uh, needing to get outside. Um, they're needing um, new things to do. Uh, and this is one that you could. Uh, so that is fun to listen to. Uh, now, as we approach, um, let, let's kind of close out the year uh, of 2020. Um, things are still picking up. You're getting your inventory in check somehow. Do you raise capital through this? Or were you able to, to just keep throwing, you know, all the stuff at the bottom was able to, to sort of uh, uh, continue to grow the business? Yeah, just continue to grow. We, we didn't gain uh, earn any capital. We, we've never funded this yet. Um, so it's still bootstrapped to this day. Um, we just continue to sell and, and get past that threshold, you know, of like breaking even and then everything else is profit after that. That's where we're at now. You heard it here, folks. You can make money in this business and you don't need to raise millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars to operate. Um, the physical product, I, I'm just being fair to it. It is a little different, you know, again, than food and beverage, but that's why I really love, I knew you were coming on and I really, I like following you guys too on, on LinkedIn and stuff. I think it's just, it's just fun. I, I like seeing people win. So it is what it is. Um, I'm a fan of that. So, uh, but that's, that, that is, that makes this even, even better. Um, what do you do now? I think you guys have some new retail partnerships. What does the rest of 21 look like as far as closing this up, uh, you know, for you guys? Yeah, it's definitely to continue our retail relationships. We just, we're getting in the Walmart for quarter one and end of this quarter, which is going to be huge for us. Uh, Dick's picked up more orders. Uh, we're in nationwide in every pretty much store besides like Target. Uh, we just got into Models, uh, Toys R Us in Canada. It's big, but besides the like just B two C and just businesses, you know, retail um, orders, we're looking to really turn the sport in, into a real sport. So that what, what that means is like tournaments and tournaments and tournaments throughout the year. So we're trying to set up some major tournaments throughout like major cities: New York City, Boston, Miami, Los Angeles, and get tons, hundreds of people there, um, and then monetize it into a into a real sport. I like that a lot because when I saw you guys talking about that, I think that there is um, there's 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 white space in just sports in general. Right. Um, it's so difficult, but people don't remember like, well, how did basketball start? I mean, we don't need to get all crazy here. Right. How did, but it, it did. Somebody like literally invented the game um, and then it is what it is now. Right. So. There, there's really some cool opportunity there. I keep saying, you know, I one's down. I throw sponsor those bad boys. All the beaches. Every time I was at the beach, we'll get the snacks going for everybody. It'll be fun to, to do some partnership stuff. Um, good stuff, Greg. Uh, and uh, shout out your your uh, your co-founder uh, full name on here. Um, we got Mike Del Papa, and then we got Chris Mead, my brother. Chris and Mike, good stuff. Uh, Greg, nice work. Uh, we are going to move to Caleb. We are talking shipware. Give it to us. Awesome. Yeah, Mark, before I, I get into that, I have to say, Greg, love your guys' product. And if colleges can make Quidditch a sport and have tournaments and have thousands of people playing that, I'm sure that you're well on your way. Um, so, uh, again, I'm a national uh, account executive for shipware. Shipware, uh, essentially what we do is we take high volume, small package, LTL, and third-party fulfillment shippers. And we drastically reduce their, their bottom line costs uh, through a number of ways. Um, best part about what we do is that we're not a broker. 
or a carrier or a 3PL or anything like that. Everything we do is on the back end. So we're not interested in disrupting your operations, changing your carrier, anything like that. Um, our core services are contract negotiation, taking your existing agreement, making it better, um, and accounts payable solutions. So invoice audit, claims, uh, refunds, and bill pay. So our, our average savings in that, uh, that market is around 21%. And um, we, we've been helping these shippers do this for uh, around 20 years. And the very best part for me is that our compensation is not uh, derived from margin. It's derived from a portion of the savings we generate. So every single customer I talk to, uh, my interests are directly aligned with them, frankly, because the more we save, the more we make. So, you know, we're really, truly business partners for our clients. So love the company, love my job, best decision I ever made. And, uh, you know, thanks for having me here and, uh, you know, giving us a platform to, to put this up on. Now, that's a perfect elevator pitch. I like that a lot. Uh, I think we're going to be using it, or I think you're hooking it up right now. So shout out, uh, Shipware. Uh, Greg's info is right there. Caleb's info right there. Great having you on, fellas. Have a great, successful week.